What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes? Something amazing's happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einswickdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireball mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head holders. No, no head holders. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and we have someone else with us today. Who is it? Well, a while ago, I want to talk about pig hunting, and yep. I said to our close personal friend, Katrina Hartwell, yep. you got to come on and talk about pig hunting. Yes. And she said, no, you need to talk to Greg Tonkins. And so joining us in studio today is Tonks. Hey, Tonks. How are you? Great. Good for you to jump in. We've been wanting to come in here and you've yep. been threatening us that you're gonna we're gonna need the Fenton button for you to come on the show. <laughs> Hopefully not. I'm gonna try and be professional. Okay. So we've been back and forth for a little while, but we're finally sitting here. Yep. Tell us why are you here? Tell us about your history in dogs and, and uh, how did this come to be? Why does Katrina Hartwell, my favorite person in the world, say that we should talk to you the about the main queen? Talk to you uh, about pigs and dogs. The main queen. Yes. Katrina Hartwell. That's a start at the beginning. Yeah. Well, when I was a little kid, born into a family, we had a border collie when I was one. Dad was a was a jackaroo and, and a bushy when he was younger. Grew up in Newcastle and grew up with this awesome border collie. Um, we'd go and muster uh, cattle with her on, on weekends just out of Newcastle at Maitland. Um, and she was also a show dog, so she had a title, Australian title at 12 or 18 months old. And yeah, I grew up with her. She was my best mate. Unfortunately, I lost dad when I was 15 and about three months later we lost Misty this border collie as well so bit of a crappy time but mm, mm. I was always into or well, we had show birds and, and other birds and um, show canaries they were and the dog and I grew up right near a wildlife park uh, in Newcastle 
So went in there at 15, a few months before Dad died, and did work experience. And basically the ranger in there was instantly like my older brother, took me under his wing and I hung out in there for a couple of years volunteering and then as soon as school had finished I wanted a job working with the animals. So ended up working on and off in that place as an apprentice, got a horticulture certificate under my belt because you had to be in the in the council to get a job there. Did that for a bunch of years, fast forward maybe 10 years, getting a job there wasn't really going to happen and I'd always loved the bush uh, so the family and I packed up and we went to Dubbo with the wife's blessing. Mm-hmm. I love her. The ranger then had actually moved out to Dubbo a couple of years prior. We'd gone and visited him and loved the place and yeah, away we went. So I started working at a, a captive animal institution out there. Uh, that was about nine years ago. I actually got into the dog side of things. Uh, the wife and I, well, when we were boyfriend and girlfriend, she was working at a veterinary clinic and someone brought in this little puppy that they had to basically surrender. It was a young girl had, had bought this puppy without her parents' permission, took it home and the parents <laughs> went, no, you're not having that yeah. and we're giving it to the vets to find a home for. And so home comes this little bull Arab mix puppy, you know, the type, big feet, big ears, mm-hmm. great personality and, and away we go with him just as a pet dog. Um, and I had been doing a bit of shooting for feral pest management at the time. And uh, anyway, in comes, our, in comes little Arnie into our lives. So he was a pet dog and, and I was out shooting with a mate out west for a weekend. Hang on, Greg. Sorry. sorry. This wouldn't be around the, the 1980s, would it? No. No. 90s? Uh, early 2000, 2000, 2001. Oh, okay. I was just wondering because around the, like the late 80s and 90s, every single Rottweiler, any dog that looked like it was a stocky, short-necked dog was called Arnie. Funny uh, about that. Arnie. Arnie. They're all right. Arnie's. They're all Arnie's back then. Well, I, I did the whole thing of uh, naming him after Arnie Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. He, he, was, he was eight weeks old and he had feet like a horse. Yeah. It's like, his name was Curtis, apparently. I'm just like, that ain't nah, going to cut that's got to go. Yeah. He's going to turn into not a Curtis. So yeah, yeah. you need something tough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I'm out shooting for the weekend and, the, and this jackaroo's there and he's like, hey, mate, you want to come for a run and I've got a dog. And um, unfortunately, pig hunting has a, a bad, bit of a bad, you know, rap in society, mm-hmm. bit of a bad image. And I kind of went, uh, you know, is he, is he a good dog? Is he well trained? And he's like, oh, mate, come meet him. You know, he's a family pet. He just has a job. So I met him and we went out and we, we caught a few pigs and I just went, Wow, this is this is really cool. He's an mm-hmm. awesome dog, very well behaved, very social, uh, very well mannered. And I've got this guy at home who's about ten months old, looks very similar. And I'm like, maybe he'd like to do this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, took him out, and lo and behold, he's like, yeah, I know what this is. Straight <laughs> in. This is it. what I was born to do. Exactly. Mm. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is cool. And it kind of it just took off from there. He still to this day, you know, he, he taught me a lot of lessons. He was my first big dog. And actually I used to, I was still in Newcastle at the time and, and I used to uh, exercise him down at this pony club where I'd run, run laps with him and get him fit. And I noticed this older fella down there and he had three or four dogs as well and he'd run them and some arvos we'd sort of cross paths and we got talking one day and introduced myself and chatting this and that and just one of them things that happens in the world that he actually knew my dad when he was a young bloke. Yeah, right. Like, this is crazy. So lucky lucky stroke again, he kind of took me under his wing, took me out, showed me the right way to do things. Unfortunately, like any walk of life, doesn't matter what you look at, you know, 
there's good and bad in it. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't matter any profession, anything you're interested in, any hobby, any industry, there's good and bad. So ours, unfortunately, goes without saying, and generally the bad ones are noticed more so than the good ones. Of course. Well, it's like any industry really, isn't it? I've said this on the show more times than I think I can count on my fingers and toes that if you go looking for ugly, you'll find it mm. in everything. And that's what sells papers and it excites people. It creates arousal. That's why media goes sniffing out shitty stories in public because they know that it piques interest. People want to look at it. They get excited about it. And everybody loves to try and find a villain and, you know, have a public execution for him. Pat's family has been going through something. Are we allowed to talk about this? Yeah. It's just classic media uh, yeah, misrepresenting. Just- and what it was recently, I put a thing on Facebook, it's public, is my family owns a Health store. Yeah, so it's called Lettuce Deliver. It's organic fruit and vegetables. Mm. And they were selling stuff called Cleopatra's Bath Milk, which is uh, it's a raw milk, uh, unpasteurized milk. And they sell it as a bath wash. Yep. And they even were selling it with a poison label on it. Like, mm. long story short, they were fined for doing it. The law changed and they couldn't do it. And, and they would have been able to fight in court and chose not to just because uh, my sister was unwell and didn't do it. And then just the other day, there's a, a report in the, the Telegraph. And just the way it was worded – it was just poorly written, but it said that they had pests and um, it said that there was all these things that were wrong when they weren't. They just caught this fine and they paid it and it was because they were selling a product that uh, wasn't allowed to be sold. But, you know, like, in, can you believe that? Like, selling raw milk is, like, finable. It's like, crazy, isn't uh, it? But anyway, so, yeah, it's just classic media. It's a beat up and, I mean, now it's it's in the public eye. It's a big mm. thing. And, and it, look, to be honest, the truth is – like my advice to my sister was just get ahead of it. Um, yep. Share the article, explain exactly what happened, tell everyone this is exactly what we did. We're unapologetic for it. Mm. And that journalist should then have to- Retract and apologize. Yeah. Well, mm. and do a better fucking job next time. Like yep. you're a professional writer. You you put words together professionally. Do it in a way that conveys the story accurately because mm. it was just laziness and it was just the way that the, the sentence was structured. They were talking about someone else, but they had mentioned them in the same paragraph. And so it read as though it was the same thing. Well, this is exactly why our close personal friend, Donald Trump. um, (laughs) (laughs) Since when are we saying that? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. We've just lost our listeners. Yeah. Okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But um, old Trumpy. um, Trumpy. (laughs) Trumpy. He, he constantly calls out the media for fake news. You know, like yeah. he's, he constantly- uh, It would be better if he didn't produce so much fake content. That, oh, I, I would believe uh, yeah. him better uh, if he didn't do that. But anyway, that's another- Let's not go down that path. Okay. Um, so sorry, back sorry, to Donald, Tonks. Sorry. <laughs> does, Donald, does Donald Trump hunt pigs? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would bet a million dollars he has at some point hunted <laughs> pigs. I would bet it. Donald, let us know. Uh, shoot us a message on Facebook um, or tweet. Um, info at the canineparadigm.com. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Tonks. Yes, there are fuckwits everywhere. Certainly there's fuckwits in every category you can think of and in that pig hunting is no different. Mm. And I think that what you were saying then is that people who are doing a great job of it, you probably never even know. Exactly. You, you're probably down the park. You're probably at the dog park with a pig hunting dog and you have no idea because he's yep. so biologically fulfilled he's one of the best dogs in the park. And then as soon as something attacks something or someone, it's automatically labeled a pig dog. Yeah. And Yeah. And so that's an interesting term, right? Pig dog. What does that mean? So some people class it as a breed. Like they'll say, it's a pig dog. And it's, well, no, a pig dog is essentially any dog that will catch pig. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
So let, let's talk about that in breeds because I have done some contract shooting in the past myself nice. and I've never hunted with dogs of my own, but I've been with other people with their dogs and I've seen everything from bull Arabs, like you say, mm-hmm. uh, to whippets, mm-hmm. working pigs. And whippets are actually, I was surprised to see how common that is. I, that I've yeah. seen lots of people with whippets that are usually um, like balers yep. and then the bull Arab type is usually a lugger, and speaking generally. Yes. Um, can you explain those terms? Because yeah. I just realised that probably yep. means nothing to lots of people. That's it. <laughs> so the term lugger is given to what you would call a holding dog because it you, no one can see my inverted commas, uh, it lugs the pig and the pig's lugs are their ears. So mm. the dog will will send the, send the pig generally off a, either you're walking on the ground or they're on, on a, a vehicle like a, a buggy or a quad or your ute. They'll wind scent the pig, they'll jump, track it, find it, catch it, stop it. Um, hold it in one place for you to come in and dispatch it. A baler will do the exact same thing, yet they'll work it similar to a sheep. They'll run around it, they'll nip it on the butt, It'll sit down and stop, generally back up to a log or a rock or something, and they'll just put a bit of pressure on it to keep it there, but hopefully not too much so it breaks. And then you rock up and you can either call the dogs off, shoot it, or send in the heavy hitter to mm-hmm. catch it. Um, right in the lug hole. <laughs> that's that's an old colloquial term yeah. that was used back in the 70s and 80s by your old man. He said, if you don't behave yourself, I'll give you a clip in the lug hole. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so on that, that's not something you would train a dog, right? Like you don't say, I am raising you to be a lugger or I am la- raising you to be a bailer. It's really about the courage of the dog and whether he wants to engage. Yeah. Is that, am I right on that? It can be individual dog traits, but some like your breed traits can play a part. So generally your dogs that have got a fair bit of whippet, kelpie, border collie, working dogs in them are, tend to be your bailers. Mm-hmm. And then your luggers are kind of your your bull mixed breeds, like your bull mastiff danes, your boxer crosses, anything with bull blood in it mm-hmm. is going to be a lugger. But there's no rule. I've seen one of the funniest ones I've ever heard of was an old English sheepdog. Yeah, it, right. it actually would catch pig, like lug. Yeah, I've seen pig. a Roddy do it. Yep. I've, I've been on, on a few hunts where yep. Roddies have taken pigs by and the lugs. Have you ever seen a baler transitioning to become a lugger, like yes. over time? Yeah, so right. I, I've got one right now. Um, he's a just a station bred collie and he's he's a good dog he'll bail a pig but as soon as a, a lugger or a holder gets there he'll actually dive and grab the other ear right cl- cleanly which you know he's gonna know what he's doing and be careful but mm-hmm. generally speaking they're lighter on their feet and they they inverted commas again dance with the pig mm-hmm. um and and really sort of they size it up they're a smart dog they kind of know what they can and can't handle um whereas the, the meatheads or the holders basically have not much self-preservation like your, you know, your males and your roddies yeah. engaging a baddie, there's a chance they're going to get hurt, but that's what they're bred for. Yeah. This is why you, you wear protective gear like thick collars and harnesses and so yes. forth to prevent strike from um, tusks. Yes. yes. So they use chest plates made out of a selection of materials. Nowadays we're getting more and more advanced. It used to be leather and fire hose, and now there's things like ballistic material, like a Kevlar type mm-hmm. thing, very light. Seatbelt webbing is very common. It's very light. It doesn't hold water and, and mud and, and get weighed down. Um, you've got the wide neck collars because some of the smaller dogs, you want to protect their vitals in their throat, but you don't want the hindrance of a big, heavy chest plate. And everyone nowadays runs um, GPS tracking collars. They're very affordable now. You can get a handpiece and a couple of collars for, you know, a thousand bucks and you essentially watch your dog on a screen work. That's the best thing ever. You can sit, watch them work a scent and know exactly to the meterage how far they are from you, whether you can sit and wait, whether you can got to get going after them, because they'll travel one to two kilometres off the ute to find the pig 
Mm-hmm. Some dogs I've heard do stupid things like go seven and eight kilometers, things like Catahoulas and some of the Baylors, but yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> so something <laughs> maybe we should explain because most of our listeners are not in Australia. Just so people are aware, pigs of all kinds in Australia are an invasive species. There's yep. no, in Australia, hard, like, hooved animals. They're, there's no natives that have hooves. And so, just so people are aware, pigs are feral and decimate the farmland. Yep, farmland. And also, pigs eat anything. Yep. Like, literally anything. anything. They have a very similar they, to human They'll cannibalise each other as well. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So, they'll tear up. That There's huge issues of erosion. What else am I missing? They'll, they go, they, oh, they'll they eat get in the roots. Yeah. They root up trees, root up vegetation. Yeah. yeah. So they destroy crops. So they, I mean, a quick history lesson. They got here on the, the second fleet. Well, the first fleet, apparently all the ones died out. But the second fleet, they got here and just went nuts from there on. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to now, estimated 25 million um, in Australia. I don't know how they estimate that, but there's a lot of pigs. And to put that in perspective for non-Australians, there's only 30-odd million Australians, right? Yeah, I so I think that's something our population like that is maybe not even but yeah, yeah. so that, that that pig population twenty five million however they estimate that, that is a fucking lot of pigs yep. causing carnage in a in a in a country not accustomed to having hooved no, animals no and I re- massive respect for them absolutely admire them like most ferals you know you look at a fox absolute prime killing mm-hmm. machine smart as but don't belong here and mm-hmm. kill a ridiculous amount of our natives so you know some facts on the pigs they. They can have, you know, two litters a year, um, gestations I think just under four months. They can start breeding anywhere from, you know, eight months onwards. Wow. And, you know, for our listeners, they're, they're the key threatening process for about, I think, 18 endangered species. So up north they impact on cassowaries. They will actually dig up sea turtle nests. They'll wait for the sea, baby sea turtles to hatch and just pick them off like little running biscuits along the beach. Um, <laughs> yeah. heads. you know, here's a snack. <laughs> I was going to hold in my reaction to that, but fuck it, you let it out. <laughs> Running biscuits, I love that. But yeah, the poor buggers don't stand a chance, and these things are super smart. Like yeah, they, yeah. And yeah, and they eat the eggs of the cassowaries, right? Yep, yeah, yep. and they'll eat like like you say, they root up the waterway, so they destroy and foul up the water. Mm. Like you say, they eat anything, especially in dams on properties and so yep. forth. They foul up the water in there, and yep. To paint the picture for everybody listening, pigs are an extremely damaging to native wildlife, farming land, and just erosion of the landscape because we're not used to hooved animals. Well, that to put a money factor on it for Australian agriculture, they estimate a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah, right. Lost fucking from, hell from pigs, and yeah. that's crop damage mainly. But they get into things like you see the grain stored in sausage bags. They just run along, run their their tusks along it, open it all up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Aussie agriculture is yeah about a hundred million. Yeah. year to the economy. That's amazing, right? I mean, I did some shooting once for a guy who told me he accounts for a 20% loss to pigs. It was a cotton farm. Yeah. And he's like that. Yeah. It, 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 like he counts on that. That's yep. a minimum. Wow. Um, yeah. That he, it, that's amazing to think. Like well, I am going to lose 20% of what I'm, what I'm putting in yeah. just to pigs. Well, and they, you know, land predation's another one or, or down use. Um, but it depends. I know some farmers that won't actually farm certain types of crops anymore. Like they love chickpeas and they love sorghum and they actually walk through wheat, oats, barley, cotton to get to these good ones. Right. So the poor buggers, and they're worth the most money, sorghum yeah, yeah. and chickpea. The pigs, the pigs, are, oh, look at the delicacy. It's best in taste and the poor farmers have to go, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I can't grow that. No. Yeah. So, so to paint the picture, just for everybody that's, you terrible assholes are killing pigs. Well, it, it, it's something that really needs to be done. 
Do you have any stats on pig baiting and that kind of thing? And no, I don't. Um, I mean, personally, I don't don't like baits. That's it's, it's a go to for every anti hunter. Well, yeah, this is a ten eighty and stuff yes, like that. Yeah, it's it's terrible, and I mean the suffering that they actually go through when they ingest these poisons and the impact that it actually has on non-invasive species as well, yep. even domestic pets. You know, if they're going for a walk through Crown Land or anything like that and they happen to pick up a bait, well, they're in trouble too. Yeah, and I've even had mates who, you know, a dog's picked a bait up and got, jumped back on the ute and vomited and the other dogs have eaten the vomit and they've died as well. Yeah. And it's it's just an out of sight, out of mind. I've been unfortunate enough to see uh, a video of a dog dying of 1080 and mm-hmm. it's the most horrific thing I've ever seen. Anyone who says, yeah, just bait, it's much more ethical and humane than catching them or, or shooting them, mate, it's sends shivers down my spine watching this poor dog. And the, yeah. only, the only comfort I think I can get from it is that they were still alive, but their brain maybe like wouldn't, well, look at the dog, they didn't know what was going on. Right, okay. The lights were on, but no one was home. Yeah. Mm. That's horrendous. Yeah, so the the issue with baits is that it's an indiscriminate killer. Mm. Uh, you get the native wildlife that eat it. You get the pets, the the whatever, anything that eats it is is dying and dying a horrific death as they do. Mm. So I, I just wanted to just sort of paint the scene in Australia for yeah. a lot of people outside Australia that listen, but also a lot of people in Australia wouldn't know this stuff, right? If you're no. if you're a dog training enthusiast and you're in the city, you probably are not aware of the the problem of these invasive species. Uh, and then there's the issue. They consume a lot of farming stuff, but then pigs are very fuck. What's the worst opportunistic? Best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they move around a lot. This is where the dogs come in. So I've always said, when you're hunting pigs, if you're not doing it with dogs, you have two options. You can move around a lot because they move around a lot, and hopefully at some point you cross paths, or you can set up a hide, and hopefully at some point they cross your path because they move all the time. They're hard to track. They're fast moving. They're a difficult thing to hunt without dogs. Mm. I was watching this video from America where they were setting up like these traps for them. And, you know, it's basically, it just looks like concrete Rio that's built into a horse shape, but they had auto gates on them so they could hide off in the distance. But the pigs get so clever that they realize it's a trap. So they'll send some of them in while others wait outside. And then they'll, once they're out, the other ones will go back in and they will pick it off periodically instead of getting the whole mob in there. They'll wait and they'll, you know, like three will go in and there'll be 12 sitting outside and then those three will come out and then four will go back in. Mm. And what they actually had to do was they had to disguise it completely and wrap it in foliage. So they had to put plant material all around it and make it look so not man-made to actually get the pigs in there. And even then, they had to basically... Let's say, for example, there was 15 pigs in total. They managed to get 12 in there at once and they had to, you know, bang the gate down on that and let the other three escape after that and pick them off in the paddock. But mm. it was just amazing how how intelligent they were actually were and how the, how aware they were that this was a trap. But, you know, the lure of the bait that they put in there, I think it was sweet corn or something like that, was just, just absolutely amazing. But, yeah, you just... The farmers went through and they were walking through and saying, showing you know damage to all the fencing and, and the property and where they were rutting against trees and ripping up the bark and everything like that. It was just amazing. Like, And the, the guy said, all of this is from pigs. And it was like five minutes of different scenarios and all the damage they did. It was just incredible. And you just you wouldn't think that one species would create such widespread carnage. Yeah. Mm. So so I'm glad we've pointed, painted that picture just to put some people's minds at ease because you know there's always going to be the, oh, you yeah, you, you horrible, you kill horrible piggies, man. You kill babe. But this is a necessary thing that has to happen. It, it is. And, you know, I, I won't say I ever enjoy 
taken life. But yeah, like you say, it's for a greater good for for the natives, for the native flora and fauna. Yeah. And like you say, highly adaptable animal that isn't babe. You know, these things, they're not razorback in that movie, mm-hmm. but they're somewhere in the middle. And, you know, they'll hurt you. They'll they'll kill you. There's yeah, been yeah. there's been people killed by wild pigs, you know, make no mistake. Um, and they get extremely clever. And then we've got natural selection at play that the fastest and the quickest and the biggest get away to breed. Mm-hmm. So they breed faster and quicker and bigger babies. There was a video on uh, Nature's Metal, which is a Instagram site that Pat got me onto a while ago. I actually yeah. nearly bought their T-shirt today. Have you seen the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. new T-shirt with the, with the, with the bears? Oh, that one. Yeah, with so the- they've got this photo of this goat whose horn has grown around and into his own head and killed him. And the quote is amazing. It's the best quote. I, w- I would have bought the T-shirt, but it doesn't have that on there. The quote they had was um, somehow, oh, what's the fucking word? It's like the irony of I asked the devil for the horns that would kill the, the strongest goat. And unbeknownst to me, it was it was I. Like, <laughs> it was I. Yeah, it was a fucking cool quote, but it, it's not on the T-shirt. Anyway, sorry, as you were. Yeah, cool. But uh, yeah, on, cool. cool story. <laughs> cool story. Show me your goat. <laughs> Show us your big <laughs> But uh, on the on the yeah on, on one of the videos, it was a a guy. It looked like a guy in India or Pakistan or someone like that. But these guys were on a building site, standing on top of the building while their mate had obviously been knocked off a bike and was being bored oh, saw, by a pig. I saw that the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, like he's trying to hit it with like a rod while this pig is just constantly goring him in the legs and body. And fortunately for him, a dog managed to come in and chase Save the, the pig. day, pig it dog. It yeah. jumped and on its back and bit it in the back. And There's um, about 30 of his mates just standing up on top of the train. <laughs> they're throwing logs on top of the pig and it's hitting him as well. So, you know, he's getting smashed by a pig and his mates standing on front of the, on the yeah, building yeah. site trying to help him. But, um, yeah, eventually the only thing that succumbed to the attack of the pig was the dog chasing it off. So Yeah, and we're kind of fortunate here that we don't have the Europe, what's known as a European boar or Russian boars. Mm. And they're the ones in America that, and Russia, obviously, that grow to ridiculous sizes. With those enormous tusks. And are just attitude, like nothing like our guys here. Like our guys here are bad enough. I mean, you can get them up over the 200 kilo mark around, you know, the top end and the cane wow. fields and stuff. Mm. But down around like New South Wales – You'll, you'll still get those 100 kilo pigs, but we generally get the really fast, we call them Bruce Lee pigs, you know, 60, 70 kilos, yep. lightning fast, tough as nails. Isn't it incredible how fast they move? Like it shocked me the first time I saw wild pigs on the dash. Um, the ground that they can cover in such a short time was incredible. It looked like it looked like a bulky cheetah on the run. It was yep. just amazing to see the land speed that they could pick up. And you put, you put like what I call a basically a performance bred animal after them on the flat and it just gives you an indication of how quick they are. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like they'll pull, you know, I don't like trying to over-exaggerate things, but I've got some dogs that'll do 50Ks pretty comfortably at a sprint beside your buggy and you see them up a pig and then he just, they watch and they let them get close and then they just hit the afterburners and just blow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good description. That's what it looks like, that they hit, hit nitrous and yep. just took off. And then, yep. you know, the dogs have got better endurance so they run them down, but it's just eye-opening to see how quick Mm. And and a smart pig will know what to do and what we call blow the dogs. He'll you know he'll go slow and then they, he'll they, zig. they blow the blow the dogs off. Basically. Oh, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> they, they they zig and they zag and they 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 don't um, kill me, I'll yeah. blow you. <laughs> <laughs> they urinate and and they'll go into a bush and do figure eights and blow out the other side. And right. an inexperienced dog will get in there and go, he's in here somewhere, he's in here somewhere. He's just yeah, right, okay. Smelling. So they intentionally yes to throw the dogs off. Wow, fuck, and, that's in, that's and, amazing. And you get a an older dog, and he's played this game before, and he knows, and he's onto it. And the young dogs are in there going, "Where is he? I can smell him. He's here somewhere." 
So tell us a little about that. Let me just set you up a little bit. I want to talk about the process of training a, a dog to become a yeah, big dog. Yeah, of course. But what I also would like to frame that around is that this is something that's been happening in the pig hunting community for forever, as yeah. you say, second fleet. So people have been Basically. since probably – if there were dogs on that second fleet as well, we've been well, hunting them since then, right? And yeah. in other countries for oh, millennia. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. what you're known for, because I did some research into it, is sort of bringing a modern twist to a lot of traditional training. Yeah. So working with the elephants was nine years ago I started that. That changed my whole way of thinking with dogs. We've got to get back to that too because I want to yep. – we talk about dogs a lot on this podcast, obviously, because it's a dog training and behaviour podcast. But I do want to talk about your role in – Training pachyderms. Of course, 100%. Mm. And, yeah, met some really cool people along the way. Um, did a like a training conference, probably I think it was around 2013, and met Ryan Tate, worked for um, Zoo in Sydney at that stage. And met them at the conference and, and saw some demos with Springer Spaniels doing conservation work. And I'm kind of like, yeah, this is cool, like watching those dogs stop on whistles and find things. And, yeah, anyway, and, and you know, got to know more stuff from, from those blokes and then went – Maybe I can. I can steal this. some of this. I can adapt this to pig dogs, you know, for myself. People, people are going to laugh at me, but hey, who cares? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a bit of a modern, well, sorry, modern for us approach to what you guys have been doing in the scent detection world for decades, and go, might try and imprint a, a pig scent to the to the dogs, um, and some basic, just basic professional training methods: treat pouch, clicker, and and away we go. And yeah, and was very fortunate to meet some other really cool people I mentioned before, Mike Burling and the dog father, the dog father mm-hmm. from Townsville. And in my travels, I got to meet up with some lovely people called Zaley and Craig Bullen. Now they're a, Bullen's a well-known circus family from many, many, many generations. And Zaley and Craig do a lot of film work now, like they did the Red Dog movie and mm-hmm. um, War Horse with Spielberg and Racing Stripes and a bunch of others. And Zayla rings me one day and goes, hey, you wouldn't happen to have a dog that does this, this, and this. kind of need a tough dog for a film. So actually I do. I do have a dog that barks on command. Away we go. So anyway, two of my dogs have done a two or three films, sort of, you know, movies and, and TV shows, and got to learn a lot of that stuff. And then the people on set and the actors meet them and get talking. This is a big dog. It's a what? No, surely it's not. It's too nice and well-mannered and does tricks and stuff. Mm. Yeah, this is his second job. His real job is, you know, out in the bush. So, yeah, so took this little bit of what I got given to me by these professional people and went, hey, this stuff's awesome and just changed my whole philosophy on training dogs basically Mm. overnight. And on Facebook or any social media, as it is, everything grows and there's pages for this and pages for that. And our industry or our, you know, pig hunting is a culture and an industry. It's not a a sport. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's very easy for people to go, it's a blood sport. Well, it's not a sport. We Mm -hmm. don't do it for sport. We do it as a job. And as a necessity, and like I say, it's an industry and a culture. And, you know, people are always asking advice, like any dog training pages, doesn't matter what you're doing, mm-hmm. agility, bite sport, um, dog sports, all that stuff, people want help. And I started offering some advice and, you know, people would laugh at you. What do you mean you use treats and a clicker to get your dog to jump on you? Just drag it up there, it does it. It's like, hmm, nah, yep. I'll stick to my way, thanks, mate. And offered a few people advice, started getting a few questions, a few inboxes, people how do I do this oh, I message this guy and and um and yeah it sort of got to the point where I thought maybe I can make a difference and do something with it um the movie stuff certainly helped because I was seeing people's basically the image of a pig dog change right before their eyes mm-hmm. from this fire breathing child eating 
you know, antisocial thing to this, hey, he like cuddles me and sits on the couch. Yep. So, um, yeah, away we went. I made the, the little page up. My lovely wife came up with blue-collar canines for us because I said, look, it's got to be, you know, I'm not white-collar canines. I'm not a, I'm not a very <laughs> technical person. I'm a, I'm a bushy and a blue singlet guy and I kind of just have fun training dogs, but it has to be a little bit professional. And instead of calling them pig dogs for a while there, we called them invasive hoofstock detection dogs. <laughs> I like so it. Came up with something just, unfortunately, to set you apart from from those that are frowned upon just for a bit. And, you know, I still like to say, no, this is a pig dog and this is what we do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're dealing with, you're trying to get a little professional, deal with some sort of government people or some larger own private farms, hey, would you like help with this? Because it is hard to get access to properties now because of that minority mm-hmm. and the image. But, yeah, when they see you get your dogs out the truck and show them what they can do and they're not going to run around and chew everything and fight dogs and the farmer's got and mm-hmm. – they're well-mannered and, and I take my kitten while my son, my little girl sometimes comes, my feral princess I call her, she'll be out <laughs> hunting in a princess dress. But um, she's about seven now so she doesn't come as much anymore. She's into the girly stuff but my little boy's ten and he's been coming with me since he was in nappies. Right. And, you know, so you're not going to take a dog out that's going to potentially harm your kid, yep. obviously. But here's the thing, mate. I mean, before the world became so obsessed and insane about labelling and you know, creating this stigma around these type of dogs. This was a family dog that sat in the living room with your children and rolled around on the ground with them, you know, and then dad would go out on the weekends and hunt with the dog and he'd go and catch some rabbits or pigs or deer or whatever. And that would be the dog that would be going out hunting and then coming back and eating that stew with the family uh, on on the rug while it rolled around with children. 100%. But for, I, I guess from the 90s onwards, we've we've somewhat become insane about this type of thinking you know, people are constantly thinking that these dogs are, uh, are brutal murderers. I mean, recently there's been a, and unfortunately there's been a case where a guy got torn up pretty bad and, and subsequently died and his wife was hospitalised by, I believe it's a bull breed type of dog. But again, you know, the media has jumped all over it as they do. It's one of these things that we talked about before with the sense, this sensationalism in the media jumping all over it. But the reality is we're talking about an individual. We're talking about a rogue or a maverick dog that's gone wrong. Their brain is is corrupted. This is what society has to get around the concept. Yes, there are a lot of bull breeds that are, have gone wrong out there, but there's a shitload of bull breeds. Uh, you know, they're such a popular breed of dogs. There's an enormous amount of them. And if you put that in perspective with other breeds of dogs, there's a lot of other powerful breeds of dogs, which are problems as well. I mean, there's problem dogs that aren't powerful breeds of dogs that are biting children and causing mayhem as well. But, I mean, the reality is that's something wrong with that dog. And there's plenty of people who are jailed for grievous bodily harm on people who are just amoral and don't think well. And, again, that's something wrong with that person. So it was actually nice to see somebody jumping on the media the other day. I, I believe the lady might have been a vet. There was yeah, she, Jackie, someone or other yeah. from the AVA, Australian Veterinary Association. She did. That's actually one of the best yep. uh, media. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you call that? Appearances yep. I've ever seen. The mm. way she handled all that, especially on the project where they were baiting her so hard. I, I could hear the producers in their earpieces like uh, – Telling them to push, get the soundbite, get her to say oh, the, the thing that we can use. That, they? Yeah, no, and, not at all. But she was so good. I mean, congratulations to her. I wish yeah. I could remember her last name, Jackie something or other, but um, did a fucking amazing job. Amazing job. Like, you're right. I think that was the like, best I've seen. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people do it. Mm. Um, 
because it always comes up every time. And, and she kept it cool and she didn't resort to blaming or, yeah. you know, name and shame a breed or anything like that. In fact, I believe she, that she said, look, the statistics just don't show that anymore. You know, yeah. that's that's yesterday's news and it's wrong. And that's the thing that people have – the same thing with the stigma of pig dogs. A pig dog can be any type of breed. Tell us, Tonks, about stock proofing because that's an interesting yeah. thing I think a lot of people don't know. Well, I mean, and like just quickly on the – the dog, like the gen- horses, the, cattle, sheep. Yeah, I mean, but even the general type of dog, like you were saying, the stigma. Like people will say, "Oh, it's it's cruel," and you make the dogs hunt. And obviously, I learned from this podcast. My new favorite term is biological fulfillment. Yeah. I just I just used to say it was an outlet to people. I'd yeah. say this dog needs an outlet. You know what I call cruel is probably I know you want to pick a number, maybe seventy percent of pet dogs that aren't walked every day. Yeah, that are just in the backyard. You've had the dog turning food some into kibble. shit. Exactly, turners, and then. Our dogs are out in – they go everywhere with us. I take mine to son's footy training twice a week, you know, go down the street, whatever. They're on the back of the – picking the kids up from school. They're on the farm. We go hunting. They're exposed to an awful lot, awesome, well-rounded dogs. And these pe- poor people's, you know, my my pet dogs lives the best life and I look after him and love him. And, yeah, it's yeah. overweight with diabetes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the whole, the whole process, I mean, instinct and, and genetics plays a huge role. Um, these, mm. these dogs have been bred for it for years, generations, generations, generations. Hundreds of years. Yeah. Thousands of years. They need, yeah. they need to it's, do it. Well, it's come from the wild and yep. it's been selectively bred for. Yep. But, I mean, the, the thing is for us is we're, we keep trying to breed it out of the dogs and do a poor job of it. Yeah. The, exactly. the problem of biological filming is the issue mm. for everything. When you look at how many people, to, to, it not even relate to pit dogs, how many people get Malinois without an intention of doing a bite sport or, or putting it to work. Uh, I say all the time, people say to me, like, I, they call me a Malinois guy. And I'm like, no, I'm. that's the sport I play. That's the dog that's the best at it. So that's why I have that dog. Yep. If I was just doing, say, ANKC obedience, I'd have a fucking Border Collie mm-hmm. because that is probably the most suited dog to it. Like, yep. it, it's about fulfillment. It's about the dog. And I'll let you speak about the pig yep. stuff, but on – the reason my Malinois is so fucking social and so happy in his own skin exactly is because he gets to do bite yep. work every week. Yeah, uh, he gets to. And I just I, watched him. Yeah, right. And he is the happiest, most social dog because he's in the right hands. Like I, mm. I have that dog. If you put that dog, if you, that dog has so much capacity to be so fucking dangerous by just doing nothing. Not doing things that would make him dangerous by just doing nothing would make that dog so fucking dangerous to be around. And it's the same with the dogs that are built to hunt by not letting them hunt. Mm. That's the problem. Well, it has to come out somewhere, doesn't it? That's right. And yeah, I mean, my, I shouldn't say favorite, like I think there's eight or nine dogs at home there now and. It's okay to have a favourite. Yeah. <laughs> they can't hear when you tell them that. And <laughs> like parents who say they haven't got a favourite child, which is a load of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and it gives, even if they do understand, it gives the others something to aspire to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a while there I got caught up in the inverted commas rescuing of dogs. Like I'd see dogs at the pound or uh-huh. I'd see on Dubbo buy, sell and swap, must go today, you know, needs to go, mm-hmm. going to be put down and I'd go and get it. And all the thing needed was to go and hunt pigs mm-hmm. and my, my own dogs kind of suffered. They weren't at the level that I think they should have been training wise. So I've sort of got a bit of burnout from that and just scaling back and looking after my own for a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, that's where my little workshops come in, which we can get to in a bit. So hang on one sec. So you were getting dogs out of the pound, yep. putting them on pigs and then giving them away, selling them, moving oh, them on. Just selling them for, yep. you know, not, basically I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a profit. I'd yeah, be yeah. lucky to even cover my own time. But yeah. 
yeah, I'd get them out the pound and just put manners, obedience, basic obedience into them, get them working, get them stock proof, and then they're off to a, a good approved home. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't just go, hey, who wants a big dog? Mm-hmm. It'd be my inbox is full of a, a list of people who, hey, dude, when you got a dog? Yeah, that's right. And, that's right. Yeah. So okay, you, you've cool. got people harassing you. You're known for that. Yep. And unfortunately, does not the droughts knock the pig numbers around where I live, which is great, great for the farmers. But then I've got to find other ways to keep my dog stimulated. I've got to travel further to go catch pigs. And that's mm-hmm. where that whole training thing comes into it. Yep. Um, and, you know, even just mentally draining them with some obedience is great. And yeah, my dogs get run four to five Ks every day, rain, hail or shine. Um, and, and they get some training done and they get to play. They're, they're all out together. I don't know. There's like six entire males and, some desex bitches and stuff like that. And they all, from little Jack Russell, Jack Russell chihuahuas that my kids have up to the big guys. And yeah, my, my favorite guy, Max, he's, he sleeps inside, you know, next to our bed on a couch. So mm-hmm. that's a fire breathing, child eating pig dog, basically. And, and he's a really special guy. He's a good ambassador dog. Found out at about 18 months of age, he was good at high jump just at a pig dog competition weekend that they, they have and they raise money or for communities, they had a jump there, and I'm like, oh, he's big and agile, we'll see how he goes. And he won it, and I went, okay, he's good at this. Let's do a little bit of training, and we go to another show, and he won that. He went to another show, and he won that. I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty good. Did a bit of research, found out what this Australian record was, and he just kind of went, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and he ate that up, and then he actually – So the, the high jump, just for people who don't know, like I've seen videos of him doing that, it's basically like you would imagine the Palisade in MBBK or Mondio or whatever. It's like a, a, a wall climb. Wall. Yeah, yeah, like a, a wall climb like you would imagine in GRC, but there's nothing to grab. They get mm. over it and then yeah, they're onto go a ramp on the other side. Basically, or, yeah, there's a ledge on the other side or a yeah. bunch of hay bales and they just make their way down. So, you know, some people go, oh, you make them jump. Of course. Why someone, you make them jump and it's going to bugger all the joints. No, Dude, I have a real bugbear about this. I think we're fucking apologising to the wrong people far too often. Well, you know, I don't do it. I say fuck them. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't. say fuck them too. <laughs> me too. So we agree. So there we go. Yeah. With the, there's no lure, right? It's not like wall climb where no. they're going after something. No, they're no. jumping that because they like to fucking jump it. Yeah. Or because you've taught them to jump it. Well, right? yeah. I mean, I just applied some super basic principles and you know hey dude do you want to jump over this yeah i do okay yeah. well cool thanks for doing that i'm gonna give you some barbecue chicken you yeah. go, what i'm gonna jump that one too and then you drop another board i'm gonna jump that one and and yeah i mean there's got to be a method to it some some of the shows i've seen you know people have the dog holding it back and it's all revved up and there's someone up the wall come on come on and the dog gets over the wall great what happens when the dog doesn't make it splat <clears throat> yeah come on get over the wall now nah, i don't really want to play anymore so what my preferred method was, park the dog in a sit-stay with, you know, 300 screaming people behind them and cheering and 12 or 15 other dogs, walk to the wall, get in position and go up, and then if the dog does fail, I'm there to catch him. Yep. And he appreciated that, being a 42-kilo dog, and he very rarely fails. But, um, but yeah, he I figured that he was good at it, and, and he ended up killing it. And uh, last August in Penrith Show, he did 3 metres 25, so he sort of wow. took out the, the Australian record for that. And his son, his son's nowhere near as good. He's doing nine foot, he's doing 2.7, but that's still pretty damn good. Yeah. He's a 38 kilo dog, a little bit smaller, but it just, it gives me opportunity to go to these shows and there's all these dogs carving it up and carrying on. And, and these two big pig dogs are laying there with my kids on their backs, getting belly rubs. And then, uh-huh. hey boys, time to work, jump. Thanks dad. Chicken, lay down again. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it, and it's a great sport for any dog to get into because they're, exercising and blowing off steam and yeah and not something i do all the time 
at all because, you know, do it every day. It's going to obviously lose its value. Um, I just sort of keep him fit, run him up and down hills, bust out the jump every few weeks. Want to have a crack? Yeah, cool. Keeps the muscle memory going. And, yeah, it's something good for him when you're not hunting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he is my favourite. And, yeah, the others have a lot to live up to. So. <laughs> but he's he's one of those, we all have that once-in-a-lifetime dog. And, and yeah, he's kind of it. For yeah. me, he's just always been a natural, been so easy to train. His natural hunting attributes were just, he was born with them. He came from two very, very good lines of dog put together. Mm. And, you know, those attributes I speak of, people go, oh, what's that mean? What it means is he started from an early age and I, I don't like to introduce them to it too young because they're babies. So I just take them along, leave them in the cage on the back and they get to experience all the environment, all the smells, the sounds, moo, bah, there's cows and sheep and they're going, hey, what are they? And the old dogs don't care, so they don't care. And then the next thing, the old dogs fly off the ute and see the pigs and they get caught and the little pups in the cage going, hmm, okay. And then they start to, hey, I want to, what about me? I want to join in too. They start barking, carrying on, biting at the wire and you go, yeah, okay, you're ready for a look, you know, when it's safe to do so. Mm-hmm. So he started pretty early and he was a big pup and, and basically, yeah, I just managed what happened to him. But he had his opportunity one night. There was a bunch of pigs and the older dogs had caught theirs and I, I let him off and, and bugger me, he runs through and jumps over all these little pigs, runs up to the front to this big pig. And there was actually two of them and they were very similar in size. And he's, he's running in between both of them. He's looking left, left, <laughs> side to size, size them up. There was nothing really between them, but he just went, yeah, I'll have that one. And um Mate, he was just a natural, very level-headed dog, easy to process, very, very easy to listen to you on, off the pig, you know, sit for a photo with a kid 30 seconds after he's been doing his thing. And, yeah, his son's showing the same sort of attributes. Unfortunately, he's not as good as the old man, but it's it's a line of dog that these guys are bred for that. You know, they'll sleep on the couch at home, like you say, eat dinner with the family and go out and catch dinner. So Perfect. So tell us about stockproofing because that's something that people uh, need to hear is yes. that these aren't indiscriminate killers. It's far from that. And, and in fact, in Australia, it is illegal to have dogs that will hit kangaroos and that you're hunting pigs amidst kangaroos. Oh, exactly, mate. And it's there's a, a fine line of, of being legal and not, you know, and unfortunately that's the thing where the social media comes into it. You know, if you use a dog, the dogs don't kill the pigs. The dogs just hold them or the, the, the holders do. The bailers bail, but, you know, you see guys go out, they do it for the wrong reasons. There's three or four of them standing around filming and going, ah, yeah, good dogs. And that's illegal because mm. you're prolonging the suffering of the animal. Yep. You rock up there, you do your job as quick as you can, that's legal. Yeah. Done. So it, it is black and white and there's that fine line of it. Like you said, you're not doing it to appease any sadistic no. drive inside no. you or anything like that. You're doing it because it's a environmental risk and the dogs are extremely good and extremely effective mm. you know you go into a sorghum crop that's up to your waist or even sugarcane the guys up north and you can't see yeah two foot in front of you let alone shoot a pig or you might be able to oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you like six seven or something yeah, like yeah. that yeah i think yeah. your head would just yeah. like over the top of them yeah <laughs> so, so you can't see two foot in front of you mm. let alone shoot something and yeah. oh there's no pigs in there and then the dogs fly in there and you know 30, 30 pigs come running out holy hell yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, just like in military and police applications, you, you use the dog for what dogs are good at. Exactly. You, like I, I, we talk about this with the 
special forces guys and their dogs. I'm like, fellas, there's no one better at fucking killing people than you. You don't need a dog's help mm-hmm. for that, right? Mm. You need their dog's help to find them yep. at, or to find the explosives that they have put there for you. Like yes. that's what a dog can do that you can't do. Mm. The, the, from there, that's up to you. And it's the same with the pigs, right? Like the dog's job is is to just find that pig yep. and keep it where you yep. can to dispatch it. Exactly. And and like we say, that's their target animal or the target odour. targets, And then everything else is non-target. So mm-hmm. that all starts – Pretty young. It's just the general exposure, and we don't touch that. Yeah. And you've got obviously you're in control all the time. Put a dog on a lead. Very simple. Walk it around whatever you don't want it to touch, and don't even make a fuss about it. Don't even acknowledge that they're there. And through repetitions, the dog just goes, oh, it's just that again. And then you come across, you know, like no, no sheep, no kangaroo, no cow, no horse, no domestic pig because they smell different and act mm-hmm. differently. And then feral pig, yes. Really? Yes. You're allowed to do that. Oh, I knew I was meant to do something, but okay, cool. This awesome. is it. That's it. And it's obviously very self-rewarding. Like I don't run around with a clicker and a treat pouch in the bush. Go, yeah, good boy. <laughs> yeah, have some chicken. Yeah. No, ultimate reinforcer for a pig dog is obviously catching the pig. Yeah. And that's obviously why they still do it and love to do it. And yeah, the but the whole non-target species thing is, it is a little bit of an art. Um, I've got a couple of sheep at home that I actually use and I've got a couple of black sheep because I – like to test the dogs. Um, lucky next door to me is about 50 kangaroos and they often come into our place and the dogs get to see them all the time. So they're not a factor or an issue. But just like humans, you know, predominantly pigs are black. So every black shape in the book, is that a pig? Mm. No, nah, it's a burnt stump. Is that a pig? No, nah, dude, that's a rock. And, you know, as the sun's going down, everything looks like a pig. Yeah, yeah. And, same, the same burnt log gets me every time. The same, yeah, yeah. Is that a, <laughs> there's a place I go to where there's a bloody fence pile that gets me yeah, every time, exactly. And yeah. so the dogs are the same white mob of sheep, white mob of sheep, white mob of sheep, black mob of pigs, pigs gone. So I've got white mob of sheep, two black sheep. Are they no, it's a sheep, yeah. And they're really quiet sheep. And I get them up and feed them in front of the dogs, and I feed them in amongst the dogs, and they grow up just learning. No one else acknowledges them, they just all ignore them. And these sheep are cool. Uh, they'll staunch the dogs. You know, if a young dog comes up too close, she'll, the old ewes will just stomp their foot mm. and lower their head and the little pup goes, ooh, maybe not. Yeah. And they just learn. No one else touches them, so we don't touch them. So it's just an exposure thing. And, and then the whole self-rewarding thing of the pig, They dogs aren't stupid. They catch on very quickly. But by the same time, they're not computers. So, you know, a lot of guys go, oh, my dog won't jump on the ute or my dog's not showing real interest in pigs or how do you stock-proof them and – they just don't come pre-programmed, unfortunately. Yeah. Environmental factors. I mean, I've seen dogs change. Dogs that I know are working very, very, very good, and they'll change hands, a whole new environment. Put put one dog on a truck full of new dogs, they can get suppressed, and you swear they've never been hunting before in their life. Mm-hmm. Give it back to its old owner, million-dollar dog. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people who don't understand animal behaviour to pick up on that. You know, they Unless you, yeah, unless you guys know what I'm talking about, yeah. but unless you really spend time with animals and see how they can be affected. But sorry, let me just mm. rewind just a little bit because yep, yep. I, I was setting up about sorry, the stock I lose track. I go off everywhere. No, you're right. But what I just wanted to bring up mm. was a lot of people say, oh, your, do- your, your pig dogs will chase roos and whatever. Mm. No, your pet dog will chase roos because exactly. you have not had the opportunity, like my Malinois will chase roos. I know it. I've seen him kick into prey over it because well, I don't take him places where there would be, but when I have been places, it's prey. Mm. It moves fast. The call of the wild. Yeah. Mm. And, and kangaroos are the worst thing because it's, you, you watch them hop and it's, 
chase me, chase yeah, me, yeah, yeah. chase me, where yeah. a mob of sheep will sort of run, stop, look, and the dog goes, eh. As soon as something, as you know, goes, oh, yeah, it's game on. Yeah. And and so, like, I, I know for sure my dog will chase down Ruse mm. and, uh, like, I'd be able to recall him, I think. Yes. But still, like, for most people, their average pet dog that sees something extraordinary out of what they would normally see and it moves fast, yeah. your dog's chasing that, right? Yeah. And, mm. and probably going to uh, engage with it. And the, the bad news for a lot of people that – if you do suddenly come across Ruse's, Ruse are very exceptional fighters and, mm-hmm. and have a technique of drowning. Like I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. you've probably seen that. Ruse yeah. will lure like a dog that's chasing it into a dam and then drown it. They have a, they're very good at that. Yeah, they, um, they do it against wild dogs. I've had yeah. mates who have come across it, you know, Rue in the dam up to its chest because they know the dog's got to come in the water and then they hold him under. And I mean, the drought's having a, a big impact on, on Ruse too. Like even in Dubbo the other day, they're moving – into suburbia yeah. and grazing in the in the parks that have got a bit of irrigation on them. Mm-hmm. I drove into town the other day and the kids went, hey, Dad, look at the roos. I'm like, nah, wee. And there's a dozen roos laying across the road from the Woolworths in West Dubbo, you know, with people walking their poodles past them. And yeah, yeah they're not skippy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And so I just think that's worth bringing up because – these dogs that are specifically trained to hunt pigs mm. are trained for exactly that because you have like pigs are on farms and on yes. farms there's other animals yes. and those pigs and those dogs are not allowed to engage with those animals and, no. and you can't because I mean you're out of the gene pool if you're if your dog if you're on someone's property and your your dog that's there to hunt pigs nails one of their sheep like that you're blacklisted yeah, farmers that, are farmers farmers talk and yeah it's good to get good references it's very easy to lose yeah. and get bad <laughs> oh, yeah. and the first time. My dog ever ran at a mob of sheep. My heart was in my mouth and the farmer was with me and he's like, she jumped and I could see her sniffing. She's sniffing and she jumped. She was a f- sort of young dog, but you've got to give them that opportunity to step up, miss a few pigs and and gain their confidence. And she's sniffing and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's reacting here. There's something about. She jumps and she runs at a mob of sheep and he goes, what's she doing? I'm like, nah, don't worry. She's 100% stock proof. And in the back of my head, I'm going, oh, please, 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 please. <laughs> and she's beelining for these sheep and I'm going, yeah, she's going to wheel off. The wind was coming from the right. She's going to peel off any second. Come on, come on, come on, come on. No, what are you doing? Crap, crap, crap. All of a sudden, you know, Moses parts the Red Sea of white sheep and here's his pig in the middle of the sheep. Yeah, and his right. dog just nails it and the farmer goes, whoa, that was awesome. Like, yeah, she does all the time, yeah, yeah. dude. I knew that was coming. Yeah, just, just <laughs> laid it down in, in my own. Mm, I was just about to, like, go recall her and, and, you know, she, well, she wouldn't have come because it was a pig, but, you know, that was 10 years ago. I've been doing this for 16 years and, and yeah, that was a, a big lesson. That was my first <laughs> uh, moment. And, you know, I've, I've watched them do it heaps of times now. They'll they'll be running towards a mob of something they shouldn't be and the next thing they just hang a quick left turn and there's a pig holed up in a bush because yep. they're very clever. They hear you coming, they hear the rattle of your truck. You know, if you've got cage, dog cage doors that rattle, these older, wiser boars will go, hunters, mm-hmm. I'm just going to hole up or I'm going to blow out of here. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, the stock proofing thing is the most important. You know, you can teach any dog to catch pigs, but you've got to also be able to teach them what not to catch yep. and what not to chase. And, I mean, once they get the work and they, they know what they're after, it's it's very easy, you know, touch wood. I've not had a, an incident where one's done something they shouldn't. And I've also, you know, people say, oh, they get killed and injured. In 16 years, I've never lost a dog. I've never lost one in the bush. I've never had one killed. Been to the vets a few times, but keep them fit, keep them healthy. These things eat better than me. They're athletes. And they're not silly. You know, you, you get some breeds of dogs with absolutely no self-preservation. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a short lifespan. But I'll Dogs go. get injured every day in the domestic oh, house. Exactly, mate. They've got mm. more chance of being hit by a car or dying of obesity 
Well, I mean, yeah. there's there's incidents every day where dogs gash themselves open in in your backyard. You yeah, know? I mean, we just don't hear about it. Obviously, obvi- obviously, yeah. obviously, you know. But uh, if you talk about a a boar tusking a dog or anything mm. like that, then you know people. Oh, you know. Well, and what's interesting is that plenty of dogs probably gash themselves open in people's backyard, and those people don't know what the fuck to do. You carry a med kit for your dog, one hundred percent for 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 ourselves and the dogs, and it's the same kit. You know, it's a pretty extensive thing, and being involved with captive wildlife for twenty years now. I kind of pick up a few things or two off the vets, helping with procedures, and yep. and you know I've got my son with me nearly all the time, and he's 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 more handy than most people. You know, he knows exactly what to do in in emergency situations. We've been through things. If if something like this happens to dad, what are you going to do? If, if I need you to do this, and you know he's my little first aid man. He's mm-hmm. like the trainer in the footy field. He's you know he's ten. He's almost beating me to the pigs now. <laughs> you just got to wait up there, Junior. But he's got the first aid kit all the time with him in a little bum bag. And, and so you're not only training dogs, you're training children as well. Exactly, mate. You exactly. Know? Yep. I mean, he's biological fulfillment. It is. Mm. And you know, it's not just we go to hunt pigs. We watch. We see wildlife. You know, we find. We yeah. see echidnas. We see goannas up trees. We see wedge-tailed eagles. I mean, the coolest thing. Oh, to some people but not to others i mean one night we we're out and and i always usually take a rifle in case as well and we saw a fox uh two foxes harassing a swamp wallaby and i'm like he's like dad quick and i'm like yeah i got it son and i watched it and this, this swamp wallaby spat her joey out and i went bang and dropped one of the foxes and the other fellow goes whoa crap i'm out of here and he stopped and they always have another look they have a second look yeah, yeah. bush car but mum had legged it she dumped as macropods do ditch the baby i'm gonna breed again sorry kid yeah you're I've got to survive another day. So anyway, I've knocked both these foxes and he goes, oh, what are we going to do with the baby? And I said, well, let's just sit here and, and put the spotlight up in the sky, not on the baby. And and about five minutes later, back comes mum and this baby's calling, <laughs> doing his little call and, and climbs back in the pouch and off they go. And it was awesome. And, you know, what kid, I mean, what adult, but what kid gets to see that sort of thing? And yeah. All sorts of birds. Like mm-hmm. he lists off all the birds and he's learning about the environment. And, you know, he's going to, what are you going to be when you're older, dad? Uh, Coop, uh, dog trainer. Yeah, cool. No worries. He wants to do this. So, yeah, it's it's teaching the kids as well because, yeah, he's good on a phone and a tablet and an Xbox, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's too many of that, too much of that going on now. Yeah. Kids are losing. Like my kids get out their tiny dogs and do high jump. Like my daughter's little dumpy legged Jack Russell that's eight inches tall jumps a metre 21. You know, like it <laughs> kills it. And this thing just, oh, they're not my cup of tea, but, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's teaching dogs and kids. That's awesome. What's the guy's name from uh, Meat Eater? Steve Rinella? Yeah, Steve Rinella. Steve Rinella. Yeah, he talks about it quite a lot in that show, which is on Netflix. It's uh, another one that Pat got me onto called Meat Eater. And he talks about how effectively hunters, after they sort of grow up a little bit in their you know, initial juvenile phases of going out and hunting, they become environmentalists themselves. Like they, they're very much about protecting the environment. You know, they become very aware of the environment and, and the species that are affecting it. And I guess, you know, humans like to suggest that they try and bring back balance. But in some cases they actually do when they start taking out these invasive species and, you know, protect the natural doctrine of wildlife that actually exists around it. Oh, 100%. I mean, I know half a dozen or so properties that I've literally got rid of the pigs off and there's there's none there now. And, you know, if a farmer sees sign or, or sees one, then I get a phone call. But a property I used to do up in Burke, which I haven't been to for a fair while, they had a colony of little banded plovers and these pigs had come in and obviously smashed the nests up. So we'd hit them pretty hard and you'd see these little banded plovers and then next year you'd see more and the year after mm-hmm. you'd see more and it was, you know, it's pleasing to see you do something about it. You know, even though it's just a Band-Aid solution, 
if enough of us keep the pressure on, then they do move elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and you know, sorry, let me explain that. Right. So, uh, plovers for people who don't know is a ground nesting bird, right? Yeah. And so in Australia and New Zealand had a lot of ground nesting birds as well because there's no predators for that or very yeah. few, very like goanna would be yeah. pretty much it. Like there's very few predators, yep. but a pig just waltzes on up and yep. eats that whole, eats Whatever. that whole nest. Exactly. And you know, that's a breeding season gone. Yeah. And you know, people I say, often say, what do you do with the pigs? And well, when the, when the chill is open and the industry's going and they're exported overseas or used domestically, or mm-hmm. they're actually dressed out as part of a, a market or they're taken as dog food basically. So yep. And yeah, there's some zoonotic diseases and stuff you've got to be careful of, but we're trained, you know, you're training that stuff for the Food Health and Safety Act and mm-hmm. for boxing pigs, so you're checking carcasses. But and the worst thing at the end of the day is that maybe some foxes and cats have a chew on them and, and yeah. leave, leave some native critters alone because they're opportunistic. They get a free feed of carrion. Yeah. Or the wedgies. Wedgies are great, you know. I, I think there's issues with that up north as well where they're getting hundreds of pigs per night in the cane fields because you can't leave them in there. No. Like it's a. A pig's constitution is very similar to a human. Like you can't leave a body in there to rot and contaminate the whole exactly. the whole area. It's a it's a big deal. And disposing of all those bodies is mm. a, a a chore and a, like that's a that's a huge task along yeah. with the the killing of the pig itself. Oh mate, we're fitness machines, you know. We're just like sculpted Adonis. As well. <laughs> <laughs> every pig hunter out there, yeah, every single one. We're talking about just the you say that while you're out hunting you're not mm-hmm. carrying the clicker and the tree pouch no but your big difference and what you're changing in the community is there's a lot of front front loading that kind of stuff and yeah. just teaching the dog basic dog stuff yep setting up for success you know there's all these one-liners that the dog training industry has but it, yeah too many like i say too many people get a dog and think it's a computer take him out and he just knows what to do mm-hmm. whereas i like to set up a lot at home a lot of props and a lot of training and a lot of reps and you know the biggest thing is how do i get my dog in the ute and it's like Ah, oh, he just follows the other dogs. Just feed him up there, he'll be right. You know, drag him up by his collar a few times. But I set up, you know, I get pallets and set up pallets to a certain height and they've got a step and initially you just sort of capture it on my front deck, just walk up and down the deck and the dog obviously follows you, gets a treat. Pretty easy. You know, establish what up means, give the word meaning. You just fight up, up, fight up, get up, get up, up, up. Mate, they don't know. You've got yeah, to, yeah. Once you explain to someone and show them on a video, like I'm – very big on little videos on my page of uh-huh. this is step one. Well, you didn't really do anything. Geez, that looked easy. Yeah, it is, mate. You don't yeah. pressure the dog. You, the dog has to learn what up means. Well, that's after we charge the clicker or the word yes with the food. And they don't fail. You know, it's a errorless learning concept. We've got to, all right, I'll make steps for them. They can't fail because they step up onto the ute and do that for a while, take one away. Do that for a while, take two away. And then I've actually got astro AstroTurf on the top of my pallet and I call it my magic carpet because eventually you get down to one pallet and then no pallets, but the piece of magic carpet's there. And some dogs, you know, they won't jump up on it for a week or two unless that magic carpet's there mm-hmm. until they get the muscle memory going and it's not an issue. And you can apply other techniques like have the other dogs out, jumping up there, and they're missing out if they don't want to get up. And it's a lot of just setting them up. And, mm-hmm. I mean, recall, basically a pig dog just needs to know, get up on the ute, it needs a bloody good stay and a bloody good recall. And that's about all you need from a pig dog. Let's not go into, I mean, I'm starting to learn a bit. Of- to be honest, mate, that's two of the most important things in any domestic dog that lives in a house, a good yeah. recall and a good stay. Yeah. You know, I mean, that would save countless lives. Yes. Yeah. I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even give you a figure because it would be hundreds of thousands of dogs that would be saved by nailing those two exercises. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been saying that forever. It, yeah. if, I don't care what problem you have with your dog. 
if your dog can down a distance mm. and hold it and recall, you can mm. you can solve any problem you find yourself into. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, great. No, it's great, great point because mm. that's the thing. I'm not, I'm starting to dip my toe into your world a little bit and it's bloody cool. But before that, it was just mm, pig dogs. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, yeah, blue collar. I'm in my blue singlet and I'm just training to sit and a down and a stay and a recall and get on the ute. Let's go catch some pigs. Yeah. But, and you say you're doing workshops on that. Yeah. I started, started a little business a couple of years ago and, and thought instead of trying to rescue these dogs, how about I help? give blokes some tools that have been passed to me and I can put my own little pig hunter spin on it because Perfect. let's be honest, our industry isn't really open to a lot of change unless you're in it. You mm-hmm. know, like I could show them the best dog trainer in the world and they're going to go, well, you don't hunt pigs. So yeah. what does he know? Yeah. I get it. Cool. And you know, I got a bit of flack off, off guys and they're like, Oh, you're a treat pouch and what? You don't grab them and show them who's boss. And it's like, no nah, dude, and they're like, oh, you're soft. And then a mate or two would chime in and goes, yeah, what would he know? Dude only works with elephants that, uh, you know, bigger, stronger, smarter than a dog. So it could crush you in an instant oh, if they chose to. Of course, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's and then they go, Oh, okay. So it just takes that I can manipulate the dog into doing this. Well, how about you think another way of getting the dog to want to do it? So I thought, hey, I'll put together this little workshop and educate guys so if every dog that they get from then on, if they want to listen and take on board, that'll change their lives and then their mates will see what they do with their dogs and follow suit and I mean it's not I'm not reinventing anything I'm just pinching really cool stuff off other professionals and that's what we're all doing putting a pig on a spin on it and yeah I'm I'm like a god I get a dog to come to me and sit (laughs) 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 but yeah I made this little workshop and just very basic just extremely basic how to use a clicker how to actually train you know actually training a behavior a lot of guys people don't think about it and it's like okay you know come on Bridge reward. Wow, so simple. Yeah, it is really simple. And you watch a dog do it. And I usually get a little puppy or two in at the workshop or mm-hmm. a dog that's pretty green and actually show some real stuff. And I like getting them on a place, you know, just a piece of timber, get the two feet on it and just get a stay and a sit from a pup. And over the course of the day, just very short, you know, one minute, two minute sessions, you see these people's head, cogs turning on. This isn't bullshit. This is yeah, working. Yeah. I can see this little puppy that was. It's like knows nothing. Now it's knowing a sit and a stay and dude's like four steps off it for five seconds and then click. It's like, it's black magic. You know, yeah, this, yeah. what is this clicker? And I give everyone a clicker at the end of the day and a uh-huh. little sort of pack with a lead and, you know, make it a little professional. I get a handout with some pretty photos and stuff and step-by-step guide. But Perfect. It just sets them up. It's basically, it's called setting up for success. And I think it's, the, I haven't done one for a while, but it's the five steps tips we go through just training you know day-to-day routine getting on the ute doing a recall and then some some basic manners type deal and yeah and i did a bit of a tour up through queensland last year did sort of half a dozen or so workshops and and that's yeah stopped in at katrina's on the way home which was cool that's Mm -hmm. where where we um we had a good yarn about it and yeah she's helped a lot as have the other people have mentioned just to put this stuff together and i'm actually currently working on a dvd i'm doing one of those oh yeah that everyone's a lot of people have done the whole puppy to, to going dog because there's people in different parts of Australia. Hey, when are you going to do workshops over here? I was like, family kind of yeah, yeah. can't and things like that. I feel you, trust yeah, me. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to get this little puppy and I'm going to try and film as much as I can. And, you know, yeah, the first DVD is going to be pretty crap. Like, I'll give it my best shot, but I'll do it again and again and again and I'll get better and better. And I'm sure I'll miss things. And little Riley's six, seven months old now. Mm-hmm. Um, Still hasn't seen a pig. 
you know, no rush. Blokes are always, they want Superdog at six months old. Dude, this thing can live to 12 or 13 years, like yeah. working. Yeah. Could live longer. Let's invest the time into it. And, yeah, she's racing around with the other dogs. For some reason, she just wants to bite them on the ears and bite them on the neck and just play. And now, why am I doing this? I don't know. But it's all the instincts are there, and I've yeah. started her with some scent detection, and she's finding a little, my ball piss ball, <laughs> ball piss balls they are. They're yeah, yeah. Ball urine and semen mixed together, you know, and then you dip cotton wool balls in them. Rub that on a rock, go and hide it, and and you know these little dogs are putting their nose to the ground and sniffing out. Here it is, it's right here. Now yep. where's, where's my goddamn barbecue chicken? Yeah, you know, because um, yeah, no pig yet. That's an interesting one, right? So imprint. Katrina was telling me about how you know she imprints puppies yes. on boar's urine and yep. in the scent tubes, like exactly the same way yeah. you would for an explosive detection dog from a from a puppy. They're they're eating over the scent that they're yep. ultimately going to follow. Yep. But why wouldn't you? It's uh, well, this is the thing, but to to us in the in descent game, you like that's what you do. But this mm, is yeah. new. This is uh, not what people are used to, right? Like people, no. the idea that you're doing that would shock a lot of people. And oh, it's like there's the guys that used to. Oh, I dra- drag some boar skin around, and then the dog finds it, and it's like that's cool. But the dog's following your scent yeah. most likely. Yeah, you, know, you dragged it into the bush. And- yeah, there's a great deal about scent contamination, which can confuse a dog on what odor it's actually searching for, and that's where a lot of people go wrong in the whole scenting field of things like you have a perception of what you think the dog is looking for and 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 yet because of the amount of contamination in the whole picture the dog thinks well this is what you want me to look for what i think is the most rewarding scent to look for and that that alone is a problem so if you can isolate that and you can make it the most unique odor molecule that you can and the dog learns that's the only thing i'm rewarded off Mm -hmm. the only thing then there's no problem with contamination or discrimination. The, the the dog is completely aware of the source odor that's got to hunt out. Exactly, and they can be fixated on that before they even go bush and see a pig. Yeah, and before they even know what it is, yeah. they just know it's a scent with value. With value, and yep. it's rewarding. And then once they get that ultimate reward, oh yes. Yeah. But by well, the flip side too, I mean, like learning the stuff that you guys have already known for a long time. You know, I got this scent wall, and it's like, okay, how many? Pig dogs actually live in the city and go hunting three or four times a year rather than every week, which is what I try and get out. So you can put some fox scent, some kangaroo scent, like, you know, fur, turds, whatever you want, sheep, Mm -hmm. you know, cattle, horse, goat, pig. And you can teach the dog basically to ignore all this other stuff. Perfect. And then nail this one and then he gets out in the bush and he's sort of, yeah, sure, you're still going to have to, oh, there's a sheep running or a kangaroo hopping, but. He's going to come across that smell and go, nah, nah, nah. Yep. Oh, there's that one. I'm going to follow this. Yeah. With the other dogs. Hey, bingo. I had a, a dog from the RSPCA once and it took him like five or six pigs and he was finding them himself, which is is very, very good. You know, some dogs can take 20, 30 pigs, half a dozen trips. And this guy was like, nah, I know this stuff because mm-hmm. I'd played around with some scent at home before I even took him out because he was fat. And unfit, and that's a recipe for disaster. So he had about six weeks at home of fitness and getting into shape before I even took him bush. Yeah, and in that time, he got the scent stuff, and mate, he was on it. So perfect. Yeah. So it's um, it's cool to hear. I'm excited about all that kind of stuff and how far ahead it's gonna go. Like with, I think largely in Australia, Katrina was probably one of the first people that I met that was from that community. Like, because mm-hmm. I really didn't know other than just being out with people that had dogs, you know, whatever, like going shooting people that had dogs, but like a trainer that was like, okay, I'm going to, I've learned this and I am going to figure out how to apply this to what I do. And, and obviously did it 
superbly. And it's yeah. fucking cool to see the melt, the 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 molding and the melding of those two worlds. It's it's yeah. exciting. Mm. It is, mate. And I've I've been fortunate enough, you know, uh, worked with Ryan a few times with his little Springer Taylor, mm-hmm. and just watching that dog. He's got it on like some like eight different animals, and it'll find the indicate on the animal or the turd. Talks to her, you know, find the fox, and off she goes. And then tomorrow cool. it's a koala turd. And I'm just like, what? He's like, dude, you can do this with your dogs. I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah. And, yeah, it's it's different. They're a different, you know, there's, there's nothing like a spring out there, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the big dog's kind of like, I'll go and find this because I'm going to get some barbecue chicken at the end of it. Yeah. And, and then once you pair that with they go bush and they actually know what it's about. Yeah. You know. It, once they nail their first pig. I mean, that's put it all that, together. That changes the, the dynamic. Yeah, mm. yeah. And like I said to you guys before, getting them to play tug. Yeah, sure, it's great. It's good for an on-off switch, let go, release, all that stuff. But they kind of like, uh, yeah, I'll play a bit of tug. But really, dude, I get to do the real thing. Yeah, it's kind of a bit. Yeah, but it's still good to get them on the same, you know, practice match fitness yeah. principle. It's great to run a dog, but if you can get them lugging hold of a lug toy, that's what builds their yeah their fitness. So I, I always think about again. Because I love her, I'll keep keep mentioning her. But Katrina's old dog Jeep, mm. and uh, trying to get him to chase a, a flirt pole one day, and so I was like, "Ah, oh, dog's got no prey." And it's like, this dog has fucking prey. Let me tell you, he'll rip your arms off <laughs> your body. Yeah. <laughs> like he ain't he ain't interested in your little rag on the mm. end of a on the end of a string because mm. he's killed more pigs than cancer. Yeah, like yeah. He, <laughs> he, he he chases real prey, and this thing ain't ain't impressing him. Yeah, mm. yep. <laughs> no, he's a proper dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, oh, so Tonks, who, how, how do people get in contact with you? Facebook, Blue Collar Canines, I have a little Facebook page. Another one that if they if they are a hunter and they want to uh, help out at all is joining the APDHA, which is Australian Pig Doggers and Hunters Association, mm-hmm. Australia-wide association. We have uh, 2,000 members, and the more people that we get in our corner, obviously, the louder your voice is. Mm-hmm. We, we are involved in some of the government things that we can help with. You know, there's some programs up north in Northern Territory where they're helping out national parks. There's a bit of a thing with the on the cassowary coast trying to help out with parts of the rainforest for protecting cassowaries and try to get our point across when they try the legislation stuff to to stop what we're doing. You know, there's always people out there that want to, we shouldn't be doing this with dogs, we're going to ban it. It's yeah. Like, yeah, well, good luck with that because what are you going to do with all the dogs? And Yeah, you cassowary yeah. killers. <laughs> well, no, but the truth is I think that a lot of people uh, just don't understand. Like I, I truly don't. believe that at the core that the people who are really opposed to this mm. stuff – are doing the right thing. They're just uneducated. And it's yeah. our job as people who are educated in it to educate them and say, hey, like I know that you're for animal welfare yeah. and believe it or not. So am I. Yeah, this yeah. is what mm. this is why this is happening. Yeah, get on board, get involved. Yeah. Like, you know, actually join the organisation that you were mentioning before yep. and find out what it's all about. Well, and they're brilliant too because for 80 bucks for your yearly fee, you get $20, $20 million public liability insurance right, straight yeah. off the bat. Mm. So you go up to a property or someone and, you know, oh, mate, have you got a problem with pigs? Can I come? Oh, well, you know, I'm a bit worried. Hey, mate, i got my own public liability insurance. Sure, done. Yeah. You know, there you go. And and I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. Like my lovely wife, you know, she's awesome. She loves the dog. She helps out with everything. And I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today without her. But it's not her cup of tea. She's never come hunting. She doesn't want to come hunting. That's yeah. fine. 100% fine. That's mm. her choice. You know, my son comes, hey, mum, and, you know, if we don't go into, he doesn't go into descriptive details, but did you have a good time, boys? Dog's all good? Yeah, sweet. And that's it's respect at the end of the day. I think for a lot of people as well that the people, not just the dogs, but hunting is biologically fulfilling for a lot of people. Of like it is. And, and people who haven't been and don't have that 
that part of them don't that do needs it. to be filled, don't do it. But you'll never understand. Oh, and mm. you know what? The supreme ironicity, ironic, whatever you want to say, I'm a bloody pig on a say. <laughs> the extremely ironic thing about it is, is that all the people who are anti pig hunting and whatever they want to choose to live their lifestyles being vegan or whatnot, they wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for meat and us hunting yeah, to develop yeah. and, you know, evolve. So yeah. it's, and, and then, you know, the hypocrisy of not killing things, but the amount of animals that die to produce their non-meat food is yeah, crazy. Yeah. Like there's pig hunters out there keeping pigs off your food. Yeah. That's you know, right. that's, yeah the that's more right. grain crops are coming, they're exactly. growing. There, there was a guy on Rogan who was talking about this not long Your ago. Your close personal friend, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, yep. Joey Rogan, yep. <laughs> he, was, he was making mention of that exact point that mm. he said that grain farmers will basically annihilate anything that goes near their crop. Everything. You know, they're not talking about, you know, knocking a few coyotes and wolves and, and foxes or et cetera for going near their flock. They will nail everything and basically just make sure that they've got hunters on the property flat stick to make sure those crops can't, yep. uh, don't get taken down. So it's quite a lot of irony. I was about to say before, I'd like to live in a perfect world where rather than people becoming triggered and so activist-minded that they would actually ask questions first. You know, like say that, it does pique some sensitivities in me. Could you tell me why it happens? Yeah. You know, Mr. Greg the Hunter, could you tell me why you're doing that? You know, what's the reason behind that? And I think if somebody with your knowledge and longevity in it, you could say to them, well, there's not just one reason. I can give you 20 reasons mm. why. And well, come, I mean, come, yeah, and you, come and meet you, my- you picked it before, Pat, where you said, you know, they're, they're good people at heart. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. that they, they, they do mean very, very well. And, and yeah, when we're subject to media images of people doing cruel shit to little baby animals and shit, mm. not all hunting is tarred with the same brush. People don't go out there preying on, you know, murdering baby animals and, and yeah. making them suffer. What they are trying to do is basically saying, all right, well, this is a job. Yeah. yeah. The world and everything that happens is a, is a delicate ecosystem. And yeah, I, I, I firmly think that if you see something happening – that's commonplace. If you don't like it, instead of trying to stop it, you got to try and understand it because mm, yep. there's chances are it's very necessary. Oh, and and for the, you know, in the inverted commas, the, the greenies or the tree huggers, like I've hand raised probably more native animals than they'll ever. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and whilst I'm going out killing pigs, I've got like baby birds or joeys at home that I'm bottle feeding during the night. Yeah, you know? so it's you can't possibly. Well, yeah, I can. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's possible to I do both. I know that can be hard to reconcile, but that is the truth. It is, exactly. And it's observable. Come over yeah. and have a look. And come and meet these dogs. Oh, these are so nice. They yeah, come and help yeah. out. Actually open your home mm. to, you know, like if you want to criticise it, open your home to it. Yeah. Yep. I've told a lot of people that before, you know, the very people who are yelling and, and screaming outrage in their living room, I said, open your home to it. Yep. You know, start raising sugar gliders and, and wombats in your backyard. And put your money where your mouth is. Exactly. Yep. 100%. All right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Tonks. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's no good. worries, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Mm. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe, or just tell a friend. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode a month and 10 bucks gets you a live Q&A, which you'll all notice I've scheduled the next one. I did. can't remember the the date of it, but it's on the Facebook. Have a look. Or if you're on the Patreon, you would have got the notification. And if you want to get in contact with us, uh, we are info at thecanineparadigm.com. That's it. Got that music button ready, Glenn? Ready? Ready. We can talk through it too. Awesome. Go. Go. (laughs) 
And we can still talk through the music. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>